Welcome to the Tune Under podcast, the only dedicated Newcastle United podcast in the Southern Hemisphere. Uh, I am Jack, as usual, and we do have a guest to introduce in a minute. But first of all, we say hello to Bobby in a pretty cold Ballarat. How are you doing, Bobby? Yeah, I'm freezing. <laughs> Absolutely freezing. It's nice and uh, four degrees here at the moment. Uh, feels like minus 2.3 degrees. So, yeah, I've got a blanket on um, underneath because it is, yeah, even with the heater on, it's still not... Uh, getting through so very cold but very excited um i'm a massive fan of our guest i'm a religious listener to his podcast so yeah very pumped for today's episode yeah welcome to the tune under podcast uh, the price of football author and basically the general go-to man for any kind of football finance uh, he does a lot of uh, a lot of media work all over the place um expert in football finance mr kieran mcguire how you doing kieran i'm i'm grand thanks lads uh Football season's finished, and I don't know about you, I'm, I'm bored. <laughs> what are we going to do? I mean, I mean, football finance doesn't stop. It is 24-7, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm just desperate for the fixtures to come out and to start planning my life for the next 10 months. Uh, yeah. which, we should imagine if you're a Newcastle fan, you, you're even keener because this is going to be, uh, I think, the first season where we, where we see the afterburners uh, put on. I'll tell you what we're doing, Kieran. We're sleeping. We're catching up on sleep <laughs> instead of watching games at two, three in the morning. We're actually um, got the ability to to get some shut eyes. So um, whilst I, I can't wait for the next season to come, I'm glad that I can actually sleep at night. Yeah, we started we started the podcast in November time, so after the takeover. But yeah, we the six of us we obviously have to be up through the night watching the football, and then things happen in the middle of the night. So you might be in bed scrolling through Twitter just before you go to sleep. And then something happens and you just, you get wired and you can't go to sleep and you have to scroll through Twitter all night. That's the way it is, isn't it, Bobby? Uh, the joys of being an, an English Premier League fan in Australia. So uh, yeah, it wouldn't change it for the world. It's definitely been worth it um, over the last few months for us. So pl- plenty more where that comes from, hopefully. But Kieran, just I, I heard you talking on one of your podcasts about the fact that your wife watches Married, and, uh, Married, Married at First Sight Australia. Oh, yes. What do you what do you think of that iconic uh, Aussie cultural delight? You probably don't watch it, do you? Um, sometimes I'm I happen to be sitting in the room, and she <laughs> will start talking to me about these people as if they're friends of the family, um, and I'm going, I just don't want to engage with this. It, it is, it it is vacuous garbage. It, it is. It is there just to occupy, and I, and I know it does it very successfully. And, and we're about to start. I mean, we have it, we have it here uh, in the UK, but it's the, it doesn't seem to have taken off to the same extent. We're, we're, we're about to start Love Island, which I would imagine is quite similar, mm. and, and incredibly, incredibly painful. Um, but she she loves it. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. I saw that Michael Owen's daughter is going to be on Love Island, which makes I'm only thirty. 36 now and it makes me feel extremely old (laughs) yes all right all right we will be back just after a very short break and we'll get straight into the football and the newcastle all right so kieran newcastle fans really haven't needed to worry too much about financial fair play up until this point but all of a sudden it's really become a hot topic with the takeover and with newspaper reports of linking us with everybody under the sun and all that sort of stuff. But let's just start at the beginning with financial fair play. Whose idea was it and what is it for, financial fair play? Um, It was originally the idea of Michel Platini and Arsene Wenger. Um, I think they were two of the uh, 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 leading advocates. uh, And it was introduced by UEFA. Uh, in respect of European football in 2013, and, and the Premier League followed suit quite quickly afterwards. Uh, initially, uh, it was there to try to reduce the level of debt in European football, but debt is is money that you owe uh, that has to be repaid, uh, and the clubs that they were targeting were clubs such as Chelsea, uh, Manchester City, PSG, uh, and in the case of City and PSG, they, they don't owe a bean because the, the owners had put money in uh, through mm. through shares rather than loans. Um, so when they realised that, uh, and, and, and the pressure was coming from what you might call 
the the aristocracy, the the established elite of European football, the likes of Real Madrid and Bayern Munich and Liverpool, and Manchester United, mm-hmm. because they didn't want competition, and, and uh, this is the ultimate driver of FFP, uh, despite what they might claim to say uh, otherwise. Um, so therefore, they moved on to a new model of financial fair play, which is, which is a break-even model, and it's 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 effectively your your revenues less your costs. So so that's that's where we are at present with regards to it. Yeah, and the EPL, you said that the EPL followed suit. So did they adopt all of the same, like exactly the same rules with regards to financial fair play, and then put that in place as a blanket rule for the Premier League clubs? It, it, it's it's very similar. Uh, I think one of the the differences is that under UEFA rules, clubs cannot sell their stadiums and book the profits uh, and and offset them against your your financial fair play losses. Uh, but the Premier League does allow clubs to do that, uh, and the numbers involved are different. Uh, under under UEFA's rules, you're allowed to lose. Um, 30 million euro over a rolling three-year period and in the Premier League it's 105 million but the the broad concept uh, is is the same UEFA are going to tweak it again I think in 2023 um, to to try to try to address some other issues but to a certain extent that they're, they're playing whack-a-mole because every time mm. they change the rules there's 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 always you know I, I I'm people that don't know me I'm, I'm a teacher and and yeah, if, if ever if, if ever you've studied or taught law, the first thing you say on on day one is just remember, folks, for every rule there's a loophole, um, yeah. and you just got to be smarter than the people making the rules to come up to spot those loopholes, or you let them make the rules and then you recruit the people who made the rules because mm-hmm. they will certainly know where where the weaknesses lie. Um, so so that's that's where we are today. The, the numbers are slightly different, but the the, the broad principles are are very very close to one another. Uh, if we compare UEFA to the Premier League, and it didn't really work to stop Chelsea and Man City from getting into the club, did it? Because Chelsea have won two Champions Leagues, City have been in a final and are in the latter stages every time. How how do they kind of is that why they're changing things now, or how do they go about that now that those clubs are established? Well, the, the rules were introduced um, after the. It, it, you know, it's a classic case of closing the stable door after the horse has bolted. So Abramovich acquired Chelsea in two thousand and three. Sheikh Mansour acquired Manchester City in two thousand and eight. Uh, the FFP rules, or they're now called profitability and sustainability rules by the Premier League, which which is odd because they don't encourage either profitability or sustainability. Um, yeah. But the, the rules effectively came into play in, in 2013. So it will make it more difficult for clubs such as Liverpool, who who have uh, you know uh, have investors who, who are willing to to put in large sums into the club to uh, to spend to the same extent as, as we've seen with uh, with City uh, and and Chelsea. But the whole aim of, of FFP is to stop another Chelsea or City. Mm. Uh, rather than to address those clubs themselves. And one of the criticisms of it is that word fair, isn't it? Because there's, the, there never was any intention of fairness or any kind of levelling of the playing field. Like you said, it was more about shutting clubs out than, than levelling things and equaling things up. You're absolutely right. And um, it's not often I say anything pleasant or positive about UEFA, especially after the, the debacle of the Champions okay. League final. Uh, a few oh. days ago, I, I work in the city of Liverpool. I share an office with mm. uh, a colleague who's a season ticket holder at uh, Anfield. It doesn't matter which, which team you support. Uh, no, no fans deserve to be treated like that. Um, but um, as far as the rules were concerned, UEFA had said what happens on the pitch is an irrelevance. You know, the, the aim is not to have competitive football. It's, it's mm. uh, to have uh, a, a status quo. It's to have a cartel uh, at the top of football, which can uh, guarantee or almost guarantee participation and trophies year in, year out. If, if we take a look at the, the Champions League and, and the countries that have provided the winners over the uh, yeah. last decade, in fact, even, even if you look at the cities that have provided the winners, there's fewer and fewer of them 
Um, yeah, I'm I'm old enough to remember Porto, Stoia Bucharest, Ajax of the Netherlands, uh, you know Nottingham Forest, Villa, Celt- you know, mm. going back to Celtic, uh, and, and that used to be that used to be one of the great things because it was a genuine European competition. It, it's no longer that, and, and that yeah. is due to uh, UEFA. You know, the, the, the clubs the clubs that have been very successful. Uh, have been very good at generating money and spending that money, but but we are we are narrowing the field, um, and, and more competition is is the last thing that they want. And every time that there's changes to the Champions League, uh, this time it was in response to the Super League, wasn't it? Or they might have already been um, preparing for these changes. But the thing about the coefficient just means that clubs that didn't even qualify, a couple of clubs still might get into the Champions League. So every time this happens, it just seems it's narrowing down again and again isn't it so there's not even any there's not even any kind of um hiding about this is it this is what they're doing yeah yeah it, it, it's very blatant i mean the, the only good thing that has come about is that the, the 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 very latest incarnation of the champions league i think will benefit newcastle united and, mm. and the reason why i say that is there's going to be an, an additional four places in the champions league um, of which two will go to either new countries or you know, mm. will be depending upon if you if you've presently got three clubs you could possibly get four um, so so that so that is a positive the other two clubs go to the countries whose clubs performed best in Europe the previous season mm. um, if we if we take a look at that over the course of the last 10 years it's almost certainly to be England and yeah. one of uh, Germany or Spain. Mm. So, uh, you know, that, that, uh, if, if Newcastle fans are thinking it's going to be tough breaking to trying to break into the top four because six into four doesn't go. And we, yeah, we, we've got we've got the greedy six there already. Um, so seven in, in, into four is going to go more difficult. Yeah, I think it's going to, I think it realistically it's going to be seven into five and mm. uh, potentially uh, because the Europa League winners automatically qualify for the Champions League, we could have six Premier League clubs uh, appearing <laughs> uh, in, in the competition. So what you're saying is us Newcastle fans have to keep sharing Man City and Liverpool to keep doing what they're doing in Europe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, and, and that, that's the paradox, um, because I, um, I, I, I was working in Seville in Spain two weeks ago. I was, I was doing some filming there something or other um which is great yeah somebody asked you to go to spain for two for, for a week or <laughs> you, 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 you don't ask any details um and, and i'd managed to get a ticket for the europa league final between frankfurt and, and rangers and it was a fantastic fantastic meeting of fans you know you know 99.99 of them got on really well um but um it was it was really gutting having to you know listen to them say well actually yeah we know that celtic doing well in europe has helped us to potentially get into the champions league next season uh, through the qualification route uh, and and those two sets of fans hate each other's guts so yeah, it, yeah. it is it, this is very strange paradox uh, that uh, you, uh, newcastle united potentially will have benefited from liverpool getting to the final uh, Chelsea getting to the quarterfinals, Manchester City getting to the semi-finals, because that helps that that country coefficient, which is probably going to secure uh, mm. a, an additional place each season. So, in simple terms, what has what's the impact being a financial fair play? That's obviously a very big question, but simply, kind of, how can you how can you narrow that down to a couple of points for what the impact has been over the last eight or nine years since it was introduced? Well, um, what we have seen is um, a deceleration of spending by Chelsea and Manchester City. Uh, when uh, when Abramovich first came in, he he accelerated the the Chelsea wage bill. They they won the Premier League uh, in the first two years under Mourinho uh, with with Abramovich's wealth behind them, um, and, and I think it changed football in the sense that. We've always secretly known that that money counts. Well, this was proof of it. You know, if, if if you if you stop if you start spending incredible sums of money, you can blow the other clubs out of the water. And the owners of Manchester City saw that, and they said, "Well, if Abramovich can do it, 
can, can mm. we do it as well? And, and it took a little bit longer uh, to, but then they were coming from a much lower base. I mean, Chelsea, remember, were fourth when uh, Abramovich acquired them. Uh, Manchester City, well, yeah, you know, they weren't, they weren't, they, they, they weren't serious contenders. Um, mm. So, what has happened since the introduction of financial fair play is that the the level of spending by those two clubs is is now broadly in line with that of Manchester United. Certainly, so, mm-hmm. if we take a look at the spending since twenty thirteen, um, there has been more measured spending. They're, they're still you know top. They're, they're all top three when it comes to wages and uh, transfer spend and, and so on. Um, so that has been a consequence. Um, and it has also made it more difficult for other clubs. So you know, before Newcastle United were acquired by PIF, we have Aston Villa being bought by Wes Edens and Naz Sawaris. Uh, you know, Sawaris is, is the richest man in Egypt. Uh, Wes Edens is uh, you know, a, a multi-billionaire in the States. Can they spend unlimited amounts of money? No. So, so we are seeing clubs having to think their way through uh, the challenges mm. And also, we've seen some clubs with rich owners try to use smart accountants and lawyers to get around the system as well. Mm. Mm. I think um, Manchester City and Chelsea, I think I read that in their first five years of their ownerships, they both lost in, in excess of £500 million each over that period of time. So that's just, you know, demonstrates what you've said about those clubs, those owners just pumping cash and cash and cash in, isn't it? And that's definitely something that you can't do now anymore, isn't it? But is even that is that something that's even desirable to do um, for clubs now, no matter how rich your owners are? Well, it, it, it all depends upon the objectives of the owners. If I am a multi-billionaire, then spending five hundred million pounds on a, on a pet project, you know, what 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 else am I going to do with the money? Mm. Yeah, I can. I've got I've got a couple of apartments in in Monaco and New York and Paris. I've I've got a yacht or two. Um, I've got I've got a supermodel wife and probably a couple <laughs> of supermodel mistresses as well. Um, you've and you, and I've still got ludicrous amounts of money. What better way than to get the uh, recognition mm. that only being a Premier League club owner brings? Because if you if you were to ask a um, hundred people in in this country name a Russian oligarch, <laughs> well, who's going to be number one? You know, yeah. people say yeah, you know, Abramovich, uh, and then, and who's the second one going to be? And they'll be, oh, I don't really know. So so it, <laughs> it does it does bring fame, and I think it it could be argued, and, and I, I I don't miss, this this might sound. Apologies if this sounds like a bad joke, but um, especially in the present time, it. It also means that from Abramovich's point of view, the the fame that it brings him means that he doesn't end up waking up dead in a bath or rather mm. not waking up, but dead in a bath because, uh, you know, Putin is a is a is a mafia leader. Now, I, I used to teach in Russia. I'm, I'm aware of what the, the way that the country is run um, and uh, he's uh, he's he's paranoid. Uh, and, mm. and, and you know, we, we've seen we've seen people killed uh, on, on behalf of his orders. Well, the, the extra level of uh, of fame that being a, a, a Premier League club owner brings does actually help to keep you alive, and, and that's a mm. it's a terribly cynical thing to say, <laughs> but uh, but I stand by it. Yeah. Well, as as Newcastle fans as well, like we're probably going a little bit off topic, but we've there's obviously been all of the thing about sports washing all that that sort of stuff, and all of a sudden we're having to become kind of informed on geopolitics. You know, like all we all we did was uh, all I did was be born and then be born in that area and support Newcastle. All Bobby did was choose to support Newcastle. So it's like, yeah, what you've said there, but it is about geopolitics, isn't it? And it's football. That's what football is now, with the amount of money in and the, the people who are involved. I think that's something that's inescapable now, isn't it? Yes, and critics and rivals will always find any means to to criticize the club um you can be unhappy with the uh with the human rights record of saudi arabia you can disagree with the 
uh, the rights of women and gay people mm. and so on, and still support Newcastle United. Um, so as soon as you start to, to dig deep into any club, you find no, n nobody comes out of it particularly mm. well. So I, I support Brighton Nova Albion. Uh, you know, we are owned by, by a local lad who's been extremely successful, who's become a billionaire, but he's involved in the gambling industry. So, mm. you know, do mm. I have... If, if other fans want to say, well, you know, you, you, you look at, I, I was tweeting this morning about somebody who tragically took their own life yeah. uh, following gambling addiction. Does does that mean that I'm complicit in that? Um, I, I, I don't think it is. I mean, I, it, 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 you, you can do this to, to effectively any any product. If, if I buy an iPhone, am I, am I complicit to you know what's happening in in terms of you know where where are the raw materials for that coming from mm. uh, are, are they being assembled in sweatshops it's exactly the same when i buy my nike sneakers and so on um we none none of us are completely innocent of all this but it doesn't mean that we're guilty of anything either you know we, we consumers we, we wh why do we love football because football is a form of escapism and, and life is pretty grim at present and, and football is, is is a vehicle through which we can we, we can do things that we can't do in any other uh aspect of life i i cannot recall my you know I, i'm i'm a 60 year old bloke i i've i've never hugged strangers in my <laughs> life apart from when i'm at football matches football. yeah so you know and, and that's something that that's something we should celebrate yeah well said so they're replacing financial fair play with a new system and something to do with squad cost, isn't it? So what exactly is the new system and what do you think the impact of that will be? Or are we going to have to wait five, ten years to know that? Well, the, the, the existing system says that your your revenues, which is effectively broadcast income, uh, ticket sales and commercial income, less, less your day-to-day -day costs of running the club, um, under UEFA rules, they cannot exceed 35 million or so 30 million euro um under the new rules that's going to be extended to 60 million euro mm. um but there's going to be some adjustments for for which cost you can include um in addition you've got to be able to prove that you are up to date with your uh payments to other clubs for transfer fees that's not going to be an issue at, at, at yeah. newcastle and, and the third issue is that uh, player wages plus uh, transfer fee amortization plus agent fees cannot exceed uh, I think it's going to be 70 percent of mm -hmm. your revenue so so those clubs like Real Madrid and Manchester United which have huge revenues are automatically going to be able to spend more money so so it, it is mm -hmm. it is once again it is locking in the uh, the advantages that the elite clubs have because they they don't want that uh, they don't want Newcastle to be challenging, and that's not. Oh, they don't want Aston Villa to be challenging. If if somebody comes in and buys uh, a Romanian team, they don't want that Romanian team to be challenging either. So so it's all geared towards protection of the elite. Why have they made the change then from the current guys of financial fair play? Um, I, I think they realised that with the failure of the uh, charges against. Manchester City and PSG that the existing rules perhaps weren't fit for purpose um there is there is a belief also that that the play the football players are the bad guys in football if, if we take a look at the proposals under uh Super League the the proposals were such that I think clubs will be limited to 55 percent of of revenues mm. going to players and, and people say well that's really good that's really good for the game uh, and said, well, that simply means that there's more money going to the owners. So yeah. what you're doing is you're, you're transferring money to billionaires. Keep, keep, just, just, and I'm not saying it's wrong. And but explain to me how by giving more money to billionaires that that's good for for the game as a whole. And once you start to to realise uh, where these decisions are coming from, I mean, the, the Super League was it was a complete debacle, um, and it was yeah, uh, you know, it, it, it was arrogance. Uh, and a complete lack of understanding by by the decision makers in the game, and the more that you dug into it, I mean, the the, the European Super League uh, website is still there, and the statements from Joel Glazer are still up there. It, it's 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 like a ghost ship. 
I think Florentino Perez has doubled down, hasn't he? He keeps talking about, and was it Juventus as well, who were not giving it up? They were going to keep yeah. going for it. Yeah, yeah there's yeah. three clubs here, that Juve, Barca and Real Madrid. And it has to be said that Manchester United, Liverpool, Chelsea, all of those other clubs are still shareholders in the European Super League company. Mm. It's not That's, It's not dead, it's just resting. It's, it's scary, isn't it? it, it like, the language from these clubs is still pointing to something like this potentially happening in the future. Yeah. Yeah. You, and you you live in, uh, work in, you work in Liverpool, Kieran, and we were talking about the Fenway Sports Group. They, they've got a bit of a record, haven't they, of doing things and then tracking back in the face of extreme public uh, displeasure. They did it through COVID with the furlough scheme as well. And they did it with this, but... Can you trust? Can you trust any group football owners? Really, you know, how do the fans know they're not going to try and do something like this again? Well, I mean, they have they have given a commitment to not mm. try it again. I, I think they got such a bloody nose. Um, I think what we should try to do as fans is to to be organised, to be reasonable as well, uh, to be able to articulate why things are wrong and. Uh, Liverpool fans are extremely good at that. That they've yeah. um, they've got organisations such as the Spirit of Shankly and the Anfield Rap, uh, who uh, you know who, who leverage on, on the success and the popularity of Liverpool and, and, and fair play to them. The, mm-hmm. the Anfield Rap, I know the guys there. They've got they've got twelve full time members of staff. That's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's providing jobs in Liverpool as far as I'm concerned. So mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm, I've, I've got huge amounts of time for them. Um, but what they what they are not is stupid and football club owners and many people in the media consider us as fans to be stupid and uh, that actually gives us an advantage Mm. because uh, you know football fans are are not people that are going to drink 12 pints of lager and pick a fight Mm. yeah football fans there are lawyers and accountants and doctors and and brain surgeons and and vets and, and people who are working on the shop floor all of whom have got a huge range of skills mm. and knowledge, which together uh, can can stand up for the rights of the fans. So, so what 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 should arise um, uh, if uh, if the government keeps its word, and with Boris Johnson as prime minister, that's not always the case. <laughs> Um, is is that we we should be heading for some form of football regulator, which would mm. is there to protect the interests of fans, because um, as as we saw uh, in Paris on um, on Saturday night with with the events there, that we we are still perceived to be animals, yeah, and treated accordingly. Yeah, and we've got um, we've got fourteen years of experience of being treated um, as if we're stupid by our previous owner, um, who who just treated us with absolute complete and utter contempt um, for the majority of his time at Newcastle. Um, so we will actually touch on him a little bit in a bit. But just before we get on to Newcastle, I just wanted to ask this thing with with Mbappe has obviously been been in the news lately. So there's a shift. There seems to be a shift from sort of clubs having power over players a bit a bit towards the other way where players are kind of signing less lengthy contracts and they're getting a lot more financial benefit from that do you think this has come about because the players get paid so much now that they don't have to rely on long contracts so if they get not worried about getting injured and not getting paid um do you think that's to do with that and do you think this is sustainable and do you think this is desirable of this switch towards player power from the clubs having all the control yeah, yeah, I, I'm. You know, clubs are owned by billionaires. For, uh, I'm, I'm sort of old school. The, the vast majority of footballers come from working class backgrounds. They've, they've, they've got a skill set which, which we're all envious of. There's no doubt. Yeah, I would, I would love to be good at football. Yeah, you know, same as anybody mm-hmm. who, who, who's, who's got an affection for the game. But, but I've not. Yeah, you know, and uh, they, they bring enjoyment. They, they, they bring excitement into people's lives. So, so why shouldn't they be able to be paid accordingly? Um, yeah, do uh, uh, Newcastle fans would, would they resent Alan Shearer making more money if if, if he if he kept playing for Newcastle? I don't think certainly so. certainly not. Yeah. Um, so, so it, so in the case of Mbappe, all that the players are doing uh, is that they're effectively doing the same as as you or I can do in our jobs. Is that if if if, uh, if another university wants to come in for me, 
they they can they can say well we'll 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 make you an offer, um, and I simply move from one job to another. Well, what why should why should my existing employer get paid if, if because if I if I prove to be you know if I'm very good at what I do which I'm not I'm just a teacher um, <laughs> if I'm very good at what I do then, then then there's nothing wrong with somebody wanting to pay me accordingly why should some of that money go to my previous employer they, they've not necessarily been the reason why I've developed um, it, so uh, I, I I don't have an issue with with players running down their contracts um, because treating them like commodities and and that's that's what we do and, and you see the outrage from some fans you know where he he how dare how dare he stay to the end of his contract <laughs> if, 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 I, if i if i said if i, if I said to a fan if you've got a three-year contract at where you work and, and and you you stay for that three-year contract what have you done wrong mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like like anyone, isn't it? They have to look after themselves. So, and before when you were talking about the way footballers are um, targeted, sometimes I remember in COVID as well, where all of a sudden everyone was—I think it might have even come from a politician. Was oh, it saying, did. Yeah, it was saying why are the footballers not paying money towards things, and then yeah. Jordan Henderson um, came out and he said, "Well, we actually are," and then this is what we've been doing, and mm. this is the money we've been putting in. So that's that's still a very much a. Um, they're an easy target, aren't they? In some ways, yeah, yeah, they're, they're, they're a very easy target, um, and uh, they are they are scapegoated, especially by politicians when the fingers are pointed at them. Uh, you know, it, it, it wasn't footballers who arranged for uh, PPE contracts for their mates at vastly <laughs> inflated prices. It, it, it wasn't uh, it wasn't footballers who were responsible for people dying in care homes whose families couldn't see them. Um, so. And uh, yeah, I'm 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 quite privileged in that I teach football in the foot. You know, I teach people in the football industry, and, and and what what does strike me all the time, you know, I I, I can be sitting at lunch and I I, I won't say I won't say a word because I'll just be, I'll just be listening in. Is you know they are very passionate about their industry. If if you hear if you hear two football match two football managers talking tactics in a in a private mm-hmm. meeting as, as I've had the privilege of doing. You realise that actually we know nothing about football. Yeah. We, you know, it, it's we know nothing. They they will be able to discuss uh, things from a tactical, a technical, a physical, uh, uh, a mental, a performance level that we've got no concept of. And then then when they go before the cameras, it's you know they they give the stock answers. Yeah. Um, they they're extremely good at, at, at what they do, and the the politicise the politicisation of football because. If 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 if, uh, if if England get to a a World Cup final or something like that, you can guarantee the politicians will be there at that final, having schlepped up the free tickets. It won't yeah. be the regular Joes like you and I. I remember mm. I remember going to a talking with Rafa Benitez uh, for the Times just before I left Newcastle to come to Australia, and just what you've just said there about how clever they are. He was talking he was talking in intricate detail about tactics that he's mm. um, that he'd done in a game against Crystal Palace. And he was explaining it, and then he, he asked he asked the crowd if they knew what he'd done, and someone got it right in the front row. And Rafa was like, "That's exactly what I did." And that guy, you could see that guy's head yeah. uh, get bigger and bigger. But yeah, they are so so intelligent, and we've we've found that I think Bobby haven't we with Eddie Howe since he's come in. He, yeah. In, in his press conferences, he says that he, he says the stock things, but you can see how clever he is, can't you, mm. as well, and how hard he works. Yeah. I mean, to get to yeah. get UUA for badges is is really difficult. Yeah, yeah. So coming on to Newcastle, then uh, um, Swiss Ramble is a, a account that you'll be well um, well aware of, and yeah, they, he's they the other do, Kieran. Yeah, I know, I know yeah, Kieran. Yeah, he does absolutely <laughs> fantastic breakdowns and easily easily digestible. So he did a thread about um, Newcastle and financial fair play just after the takeover. He thought that uh, he estimated this was before January, but he estimated that Newcastle could spend 200 million. Uh, they had about 200 million to play with, but then really that goes up to 600 million. So that could really be 600 million if we wanted to in one summer with contracts of 300,000 pounds a week. These are these headline figures. Are these kind of what? Newcastle fans should be focusing on at the moment, or should we not be thinking about that? But should we should Newcastle fans be worrying about being restricted by financial fair play? Um, I I I don't think so. Uh, I, I know Mike Ashley is sort of the Voldemort 
of, uh, of of Newcastle. Um, but the legacy that he created was that uh, during the the period of ownership, Newcastle made an overall profit. And uh, from an FFP point of view, when he left, I think I, I've estimated that they were they were plus one hundred million pounds, whereas the limit is minus one hundred and five. Mm. So so certainly that there is there is the ability, there is the uh, there is the scope to spend significant monies. Now, yeah, everybody knows in football it's a talent industry. It, the, normally, the, the, the clubs that pay the biggest wages tend to get the best. It's the it's a short career, um, and 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 you and you follow the money. So so they are in a in a strong position. Do they have to spend all of that money at once? I I personally wouldn't recommend it because. Uh, if, uh, if if we take a look at Manchester City when, when they when they first uh, were in receipt of those additional monies, uh, I think it's fair to say that they got their trousers taken down on quite a few occasions. You know, Rubinho, Joe, Adebayo, Adebayo. Yeah, you know, there the, the, the were players who were coming there purely for the money. Whereas now, if you look at players who come to Manchester City, uh, they know that they know that they're going to be well paid, but they're also going to be coached by uh, Guardiola. Which, you know, if, if I was working in that profession, I would I would love to be in that position. Mm. So yeah. um, that's 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 a driver as well. Um, certainly, Newcastle have got far more flexibility uh, than they had under the the Mike Ashley model. Uh, but the money has got to be well spent rather than just spent. You know, there, there's mm. there's there's loads of articles in in the press this week you know, sort of why oh why articles you know why are manchester united not winning things out well you know Ma- manchester united went 25 years without winning a prep you know without winning the top division they went from 68 to, to 93 there's no reason why why they should be winning things but there, but there is a bit of a loving with manchester united and in, uh, in the press as if they they, they they should you know they're complaining about finishing sixth in the premier league i'm going well I'd probably accept that. I suspect, I suspect you'd probably accept that as well. Mm. Yeah. Why? Why should we feel sorry for them whining because they're only in the Europa League next season? So the the, uh, the, the behaviour of uh, of cheerleaders is is pretty frustrating. But but Newcastle fans, um, I, I think they've got nothing to worry about. The 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 capacity to spend the money is there. I think the noises that we've been seeing coming from Eddie Howe. Have been well. Yeah, there's no reason why we should spend it, and and he's he's saying the right things because the, the last the last thing you want to be seen doing is is waving dollar you know, hundred dollar bills around all the time because you, you'll you'll have a lot of friends. Uh, you know, so, as Mike Tyson used to say, he had a friend for every dollar he earned in boxing, and and, it, and things didn't end up well there. So uh, spend it well. Uh, have a have a strategy. And, and, and strategies take years rather than months to implement and, and, and be patient and, and the rewards will come. So is that, you, you sort of answered my question a little bit with the, the fact that Eddie Howe is talking about we're restricted by FFP. Is it more a negotiation tactic or what have you? And we're hearing the press, particularly like Luke Edwards saying, Newcastle have got a max of 60 million pounds to spend. Is that just all, you know, a, a tactic to say, all right, we don't have the six hundred million dollars. We're not going to blow it all away, as you said. Or so you're saying that Newcastle fans have nothing to worry about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Could, could Newcastle spend hundreds of millions this summer? Yes. Will they? Probably not, uh, mm. because uh, you, know, you, you, you in what you want is evolution rather than revolution, uh, because. Yeah. If if you if if you if you sign half a dozen Galacticos, um, it doesn't mean that they can play together. Mm. One of the things I think we we are seeing more and more in terms of the the analytical uh, approach to football, the the sports science approach, is that it's all about relationships on the pitch, and you've got to have players who are compatible with one another, um, and and you do that over a period of time. You you, you sign six or seven players. Uh, who who are on massive transfer fees and massive massive wages doesn't doesn't mean that they can interact because it, you know, it might be that they've all got a right foot or they've all got a left foot or they all prefer to do this and they all they all fade at seventy minutes yeah. and you you need a blend and and you can only really achieve that 
uh, over, over a period of time. So therefore, securing uh, a, a technical director stroke director of football, I think is one of the first things that you need to do. And this is something that Eddie Howe was talked about in January was getting players with the right character. And I have to say, Dan Byrne, thanks very much for him. He has been absolutely colossal for us. And he was in good form for Brighton before he signed for us. Um, but 13 million seems a snip for him. I, I think I think actually it's it's a fair price for, for everybody concerned. Um, you know, th- this isn't sour grapes. He, he was probably at the start of the season our fourth choice centre-half. Mm. Um, mm. And then injuries, suspensions came in. Um, and he he put in some blinding performances for us. You know, he, he he had he's been you know Dan's been with the club I think you know, three or four years now, um, and he was always a good squad player. We were playing him as a as a wing back, which mm. yeah he doesn't look like a wing back, but he's six foot eight. <laughs> yeah, he's hugely underrated. Yeah, uh, he scored he scored his he scored the winning goal against Manchester City when we beat them last season. Uh, and that was one of the, the greatest moments I've had. And, and everybody, everybody loves him. You know, he, mm. So he's, he, first of all, he, he's, he's a great guy. Um, he was playing, he was in the best form of his career uh, when he left. He's 29. We got a good fee for him for, for, for a 29-year-old uh, centre-half. Uh, it was a chance for him to go home, a chance for him to be with his boyhood club. I, I think sometimes the stars are in alignment and there's... There, there's you you will not find any resentment from mm-hmm. uh, from Brighton fans about him going there. We, we we fully understand the reason. So I think all all the parties conducted themselves really well, and, and that's good to see. Uh, because yeah. sometimes when when people come in with sort of the loads of money approach mm. that perhaps you might associate with with clubs such as Chelsea, it doesn't go down particularly well. Uh, you know, and and yeah, you know, I know a lot of. Newcastle fans on social media that the vast majority of them are, are, are really good there's there's a few idiots but then there's, yeah, but then there's a few there's a few idiots at Brighton there's a few idiots at Liverpool there's a few idiots mm-hmm. at Crystal Palace there's a few idiots at Manchester United the vast majority of fans aren't just before we move on from I just want to talk about Mike Ashley for a minute again so like you were saying Newcastle made the fourth highest profits over the last 10 years of 94 million when Mike Ashley was there but he invested nothing of his own money and he put barely anything into any of the infrastructure. There was no commercial growth. Obviously, we had two relegations and there was there was no ambition at the club beyond staying in the Premier League. So you've already talked a bit about his, his legacy financially. Um, and like you said, it's not popular to praise Mike Ashley or to give him any credit among Newcastle fans. Um, do you think that those like the, the way that Newcastle have, were under Ashley um, for that period of time, do you think he deserved credit for what he did with the finances? And do you think it, it it's it's kind of come at the expense of the ambition? Or do you think he could have kind of done it a little bit differently? What's your thoughts on that? He inherited a mess and he turned mm-hmm. that mess around. And, and I don't think he, he was given credit for that. Or if it was, it's become very begrudging. I, I, you know, I think I was one of the first people to put out the... The infrastructure spent uh, during his reign, and it and it and it was poor. But that that is textbook Ashley. That's the way he runs his businesses. Um, I think he would he would defend himself by saying that in order to take Newcastle United to the next level, so let's say the next level is is competing for European places, would involve a very significant spend, and he and he wasn't willing to do that. Now, is that a lack of ambition, or is is he also saying, "Well, you know, hold on, you know, sh- show show me show me how many trophies Newcastle won in the forty or fifty years prior to me coming there?" So, I think I think you've got to have a, a measured analysis. Um, he he certainly didn't help himself at times. Um, he w- he was certainly not. I, I would not classify him as a as a good owner, but at the mm. same time. Is he the worst owner in the history of, of the Premier League? No, he's no, he's not, because he he did lend the, the club money interest free, whereas mm-hmm. we've got other club other club owners who are taking money out as uh, in terms of executive pay and interest charges and so on. Um, I think he became a toxic brand in his own right, in in, in a in perhaps a similar way that you know I, I'm not politically. Uh, 
interested in many things but we, we've got a prime minister who, who has now become toxic he, he might yeah. even say you know policies which should be popular but because he's saying them and uh, mm -hmm. so and and uh in terms of the commercial I, I think i think newcastle could have been more successful commercially without doubt for reasons that nobody can really fathom out he, he didn't seem particularly bothered by that i think perhaps owning the, the nature of the shops that he does sports mm. direct where where every everything is pared down to the bone in terms mm -hmm. of costs that investing in a marketing and, and commercial strategy seemed to be one of the areas where he was he was prepared to to save a pound in wages and, and lose 10 pounds in terms of additional income and and that wasn't necessarily well thought out but uh, you know, I would equally point out that that he is a billionaire, and I am a teacher. So, you know, <laughs> who am I to, to to tell people how to behave? You keep you keep putting yourself down as a teacher. You called yourself just a teacher earlier. If I called my wife that, I'd end up with two black eyes. Just a teacher. <laughs> well, I, mean, I I I love teaching. You know, for, for me, it is a calling. But um, I I I get a lot of flack from. <laughs> fans of clubs but when i say something which which you know that the the somewhat uh weaponized way that fan groups get get motivated so so mm -hmm. i i try you know my aim is to be objective neutral and mm -hmm. analytical um and sometimes that means that you will put out data that people don't want to see and the first reaction is well you would say that those that can do those that can't teach so <laughs> i've just I, I i wear it as a badge of honor but after the, um after COVID lockdowns and homeschooling, my appreciation for teachers is through the roof. I can tell you that right now. You've, you've probably got an agenda against every club, have you? Or you have had an agenda at some point or another? Um, I, I think, I think to be fair, uh, there are some clubs who, who realise that what, what, I, what I try to do, and, and I, I, I'm, I, I'm not, I, do, I genuinely do not try to set myself up as, as, uh, uh, as one of the good guys, but I, mm. I I, I want I, I genuinely believe that, that every fan of every club is equal and just mm. because you support Newcastle or Hartlepool doesn't mean that you're a better or a worse fan it means that you you are a fan of your local club and, and, and that's the that's that, that's that tie that you have uh, you, you don't support Newcastle United for glory do you you know it, 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 it is it, no it, 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 it is a love affair um, and uh, yeah, it, it's it's it, it's not it's not pleasant at times because I, I make the mistakes of some some. I've got quite a big social media presence mm -hmm. these days, um, and if somebody says something, the worst thing that somebody can do to me is they say, "Have you seen what they've been saying about you on such and such <laughs> message board?" And what I should do is just walk away. Yeah, but you think? Hmm, I'm interested. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so sometimes it, and sometimes I, I, you know, crit criticism go, goes along goes a lot goes along with the, with the gig. And mm. what I will try to do is, is to engage with people, which which they don't actually want. They don't people don't want engagement these days. Uh, and provided it's provided it's you know agreeing to disagree, that's fine. Mm. Um, when, when it when it turns into death threats, which which I have yeah. had, that's that's yeah, that's not that's pleasant. And, and 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 that's and having been on the receiving end of that, you know. I would also say to fans of clubs, Mike Ashley is like, he's not the best owner, not the worst owner. Don't, don't, don't go down that route. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he doesn't, you know, for, for all his faults, he, he does not deserve death threats. And that's the that's the bad side of social media, isn't it? Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Very, very toxic at times. I saw you were tweeting about Stenhouse and Muir earlier and some of the Scottish clubs. So hopefully yeah. you haven't done anything to upset their, their fan no, base. No, no, <laughs> they're, they're absolutely made up. Not many people write about Stenhouse Muir. Um, yeah. And it, it, as far as I'm concerned, it's, it's what I do is a hobby. Um, and I'm probably even more determined these days to not abandon the, you know, the likes of Stenhouse Muir. Or, mm. or uh, I've, I've been going on today about Grimsby Town. Who, because mm. their their fans are being ripped off going to the playoff finals to to get mm -hmm. into the uh, get into the EFL next season. Just just going back to Newcastle for a minute. So Newcastle are in the process of organising some sponsorship deals, probably with Saudi companies. We know that the temporary ban on owner related um, companies sponsoring has been uh, taken away now. That was something mm. the Premier League put in. 
but the the deals still have to be at fair fair market value for the sponsorship deals who who decides what is fair value and can newcastle go in and start um getting what man city are getting or what spurs are getting or do we have to aim lower sort of everton west ham level at the stage i i, I think it's got to be incremental um you know, Manchester City and Manchester United and Chelsea, they, they do have big global fan bases. They are able to command high prices for exhibition matches pre-season. Um, and uh, they 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 have their shirts sold around the world. Now, New, Newcastle is, is coming. You know, Newcastle is, is a big club domestically. It, it, it doesn't have that same footprint on a global basis. And I think that we just have to be realistic. Um, at, at the same time, um, if, if we take a look at things such as uh, 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 arm advertising, shirt, shirt sleeve mm. advertising, the going rate is around about a million pounds. I, I was talking to somebody in in, uh, in a commercial department who, say, who says Newcastle looking for the seven to eight, um, which which will be high, but it's still it's still a third of what Chelsea and Manchester United are going. So I think I think they 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 was they are in a position to step up. Um, mm. and, and that that will be a, a positive, but uh, you know Newcastle's commercial income is what twenty six, twenty seven million pounds. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's a tenth of that of Manchester City. They're not going to bridge that gap uh, yeah. in, in, you know, in two or three years. It's, it's going to take it's going to take a decade or more to, to build up the profile. Yeah, I was looking at the through the Swiss Ramble thread as well about Newcastle have got about five times less um, shirt sponsorship than Spurs. I think it was 10 times less than Man United. So I'd kind of wondered if sort of targeting Spurs, which is pretty much where Newcastle were when Mike Ashley came, who were on a par with Spurs, whether that's realistic towards Spurs and Arsenal over the next kind of five, six years, maybe. Um, I think Manchester United and Liverpool are just behemoths, aren't they? Hmm. Huge global brands, which I'm not sure we'll get near. But do you think targeting Spurs, Arsenal over that period I, is realistic? I, I agree. I um I, I wrote an. I, I used to have a, a, a blog. Remember when blogs used to be a blogs. thing? Yeah, I remember blogs. You're showing uh, your age, Kieran. I, I know. Uh, tell me about it. Um, so I, I, wrote, I wrote a blog article probably about four or five years ago when it was still still just about a trendy thing to do, <laughs> where I actually compared Newcastle and Spurs and said, "Well, you know, the, these two clubs have gone in different directions in in the sense that." Uh, to give credit to the Spurs owners, what they have done is that they've, they've tried to grow revenues um, through through expansion. Um, they've been rewarded for that. They are now competing in the Champions League, not every year, but they are on, on a regular enough basis to, to make a difference. And, and that becomes a virtuous circle. And the more that you appear in the Champions League, the more eyeballs you generate, commercial sponsors and commercial partners like eyeballs. Mm. And a couple of the other Premier League clubs that have been sort of making a few waves with financial fair play lately. One is Aston Villa, who seem to this summer to be spending freely, um, and they seem to have been doing that for a few years now. Um, how how are they doing that? And is that what Everton did uh, over the last five years or so that's landed them in trouble? Well, um, uh, Aston Villa's bought Jack Grealish for nothing and sold him for a hundred million pounds. Mm. So that that gives you an awful lot of, of wiggle room. And remember that when you if you sign a player for thirty million pounds on a five year contract, the cost is only six million a year in yeah. the accounts through amortization. amortization. Mm. So so football um I think it, it, it distorts things when you sell players for huge fees, especially if those players have come through the ranks. Um and that does give you uh, a, a lot of a, a lot of room for manoeuvre, um, and that's what Aston Villa have done. In the case of Everton, I think the jury's perhaps a bit more out. Uh, Everton have lost three hundred and seventy-two million pounds in the last three years. You can reduce that significantly for, with bits and pieces, but they are claiming uh, that they've had one hundred and seventy million pounds worth of COVID, COVID. costs. Yeah, Crystal Palace, their results came out. Yes, Crystal Palace were a small club. We all know that. But their COVID costs are 20. Villas were 40. Leicester's were 50. You know, there's been quite a few clubs in that in that broad you know, 40 to 50 area. Uh, and then Everton, 170. I, 
yeah. I, I work so I work in Liverpool. There's there's not, to my knowledge, been a special variant of COVID <laughs> which just affected the scouse, the, 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 the L four L four zip code. Yeah. yeah, Everton, Swiss Ramble had them at about eleven million in the red in terms of financial fair play. Are there, is there going to be any um, repercussions to this, or are they going to are they going to get away with it? Um, I, I was at a law and sport conference just over a week ago. Um, I think it's best to say that my lips are sealed on this. Okay, um, read into that whatever you want. Their name certainly came up in conversation. You said it before, football, it's about finding the loopholes. Is that just what it's become now in business with, with football? Is it just employing the smartest people to find loopholes in a system that can get away with what you can get away with? Um, not, not at every club. It, it depends upon the culture of the club. It, you know, it, it Ultimately, it, it's all dictated by the very top, by the owners, by the board of directors who... Who are effectively there to to apply the wishes? Um, if if the if the culture of the owners is that we want to do it and we want to do it within the rules without bending the rules, then then that's one thing. Uh, if the, the culture is we just we just want to win things and we don't care what we have to do in order to win things, then then you're more likely to be uh, utilising uh, the more creative people within the professional ranks. All right. I think the last thing we wanted to cover, uh, Bobby, you wanted to ask about the the news that we've had in the last day or so. Positive news for Newcastle. Yeah, as a Brighton fan, I just wanted to get your take on Dan Ashworth. I think you know we're all very excited reading up on him um, and what he brings. But from a Brighton perspective, um, what's your thoughts on what we're getting and and where you see him or we benefiting benefiting us? Um. I, I think he's fantastic at what he does. Uh, we we headhunted him from England. Uh, I think he was getting a bit, uh, a bit frustrated within the England setup in, in the sense that you've only got the tournaments in effectively every two years. Um, he's extremely professional. He's extremely thorough. Uh, he will introduce a level of professionalism to the club, which will which will enhance it. Uh, Provided the other people he's working with are equally professional, um, and, and he's and he's a team player as well. So, so yeah, we're we're, we're very sad to see him go. Uh, we we can absolutely understand the reason why because he's he's got a much bigger train set to play with in terms of the numbers, mm -hmm. and then yeah, that that's that's just acknowledging where we are in the pecking order of football compared to 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 Newcastle. You. You won't see results straight away. You know, you can't. You won't be able to say in in six weeks, six weeks into the next season. Oh, Dan Ashworth made a huge difference, um, because with us, it, it was an evolutionary thing. But uh, the fact that that Brighton had their their highest finish in the club's history this season mm. uh, is 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 testament to the good job that he did. Uh, and you know, the, the, the again, there'll be some Brighton fans whinging about it, but I think they they they're just being either naive. Or bitter, or both, um, because he clearly he wasn't around from from when the approach was made until the end of the season, and, and results were yeah you know, we, we we did a good finish to the season, but he'd put in play uh, part of the culture of the club in that the first team play in the same style as the under twenty threes, as the under eighteens, as the under sixteens. Mm. When when you're looking for players, you're looking for players with particular characteristics, which we will help to identify which goes into the culture and the style and the strategy of, of the play. And, and you start to see this, this production line come through. So, you know, we, we, we sadly are probably going to lose, you know, two or three players this summer uh, who have benefited from being part of that culture. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, I think he, he will be an excellent addition um, to, to Newcastle United. He was with us for three to four years before we really started to see the results come through because it is a case of making sure that the academy is working in the same way as the first team. And it, those academy players won't start challenging for two to three years uh, in terms of the under-18s and the 20s. So, so be patient. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I, th I think you will find you've got a, a, an excellent person uh, in place there. And I can understand why... Uh, Newcastle targeted him. He was also targeted by Manchester United, by the way, 
Mm, okay. um, but I think I think that was after Newcastle made their first approach, and, and uh, he he strikes me a man of, as a man of his word yeah, in the sense mm -hmm. that you know, Newcastle came in first. I've I've given them a, a heads up. You know, we, we, we know mm. that he couldn't formally take the job, uh, and he's that type of guy. So yeah, uh, we, we we think uh, extremely highly of him, and uh, I, I think he will be a a good, if invisible, piece of the jigsaw. This is uh, this is music to our ears after we've had Lee Tranley basically doing everything for the last uh, 10, 12 years. So that's that's fantastic for us. All right, Kieran, I think we've probably taken up enough of your Tuesday, and um, we'll let you go and get some lunch. We'll go to bed. Yes. Um, <laughs> <Cheers>. <laughs> Thanks very much, Kieran, for coming on. That's been really fantastic for us. Um, that's going to give our our uh, listeners some really useful information on topical um, things that are going on for Newcastle at the moment. So thanks very much and keep up the good work and we'll speak to you soon. Cheers, Kieran. Thanks, guys. Cheers, enjoy, Bobby. Enjoy, enjoy your winter. You. Cheers. <laughs> Thank you.